The following program is paid for by Rudy Wealth Management. Good morning, and welcome to Paul Rudy's On the Money. You're invited to be part of today's show. Call 356-9397. Opinions and views expressed represent those of the guests and do not necessarily represent those of the station. And now, Paul Rudy's On the Money. Well, good morning, everybody. This is our last show of On the Money for this year. Everybody was getting excited when I said last show. They were saying, hey, maybe that's the last show ever. That's the last one for the year. It's kind of a special occasion show. We were scheduled, obviously, uh, the fourth Tuesday would have been on Christmas Day, and I don't think anybody wants to hear us on Christmas Day. So we uh, agreed to move to this week, and uh, it might be a timely show. There's a lot of people that are concerned about what's going on. We're going to talk about that. Um, I think uh, the takeaway from the show today will be there's no particular concern here. Uh, we do have Dr. Fred Gertz on the phone. Dr. Fred, are you there? Yeah, good to be here. Thanks, Fred. Good to be with Fred's you. in New York City. Fred, good morning. Right. And I have David right. Rudy, certified financial planner professional and retirement income certified professional, as I reach for my iPad. Good morning, David. I have morning. Ryan Repka, who works with me also at Rudy Wealth Management. Ryan, thanks good. for coming in today. Good morning. Fred? Chaos in the street. Yes. Everybody's worried. Now, all of a sudden, I mean, how many times have you heard the research, word recession in the last week? Right. <clears throat> Generally, uh, we, we talk about the economy affecting the stock market this time. I think there's fear that the stock market may be uh, giving a signal about the economy, which is very likely not the case, but that's still the, the situation. We're also kind of in an odd uh, juncture now in regard to the uh, Federal Reserve. The, the Fed was expected to uh, continue raising interest rates, but now uh, uh, there's some interest, especially from uh, from uh, President Trump, about not doing that. So the Fed is kind of uh, caught on, on, in a, a no-win situation. If they raise rates, uh, they'll be accused of uh, maybe um, uh, worsening the, the situation in financial markets. If they don't raise rates, uh, it may be viewed as a sign that the economy is actually worse than people think. So it, it's kind of an odd situation. But generally, as, as you said uh, several times, the economy itself seems to be doing well. The economy is growing. We have low unemployment. Uh, there's no particular uh, inflation pressure. There are obviously uh, problems around uh, Brexit and things of that sort. But the economy itself uh, seems probably strong, but the markets obviously uh, are not as strong recently. And uh, and before I get going, I do want to uh, kind of miss part of my intro, so bear with me, Fred. You can call in with your questions at 356-9397 or text us, text us on the Castle Heating and Cooling text line at 351-5357. Uh, it's important to recognize that past performance is not an indication of future results, and you should not make any investment decisions without first consulting your own financial advisor and conducting your own research. Uh, we normally have Facebook Live. Today we don't. We've been having some internet issues, so... Uh, and somebody forgot their hotspot <laughs> in Dallas. That would be me. So uh, by next show, we should be back on. Um, that's the thing. Um, you know, a lot of uh, you know, kind of like turmoils in the market shows, et cetera. Someone mentioned that on CBS this morning. Uh, somebody was kind of raising the alarms. And Ryan, I think you said that you either heard somebody say or you heard Alan Greenspan maybe on TV say, you should run for the hills, you know, sell while you can. Uh, and of course that r rattles people. And here I am saying, look, we get uh, every given on, on average annually, the intra year, 
even if it's a winning year for the stock market, a plus year for the stock market, the typical annual intra-year decline is 14%. So far, this is 13%. I'm still treating this as a correction. Um, of course, we don't forecast. We don't say because I think it's a re, you know uh, we're not going into a recession. I think it's a correction. Doesn't mean that that's what it's going to be. It doesn't mean you should take any action. To the contrary, uh, the best thing to do in these type of uh, declines, which by the way, as I might have said at last show, I go. It's imagine living in Illinois your whole life and at age seventy going out in January and opening the door and shocked it's not eighty degrees out and and you're shocked that it's snowing and it's cold. Uh, this is a normal part of the process. It never feels normal. And we were talking, and in, in, in you weren't here, Fred, obviously, you're in New York. But we were talking, I mentioned to Larry Fredrickson, who works here at the radio station. I said, Larry, it's the only area in life I know where people never adapt. They, it's like there's no learning going on. And I think it's, this, as I call it, it's the amygdala part of the brain, the fight or flight that's maybe hundreds of years in our processing that says, look, we run away from things that cause us pain and cause us fear. And you, you can look at all the data and all the, you can, I could tell somebody till I'm blue in the face, look, since I've been in this business, the Dow's gone from 1,000 to 26,000. And I've been through one of these type of corrections just about every year. So you have to put up with these temporary declines along the permanent uptrend if you want the premium returns the equities at least historically have provided over un, the over predictable investments like bonds or CDs that after taxes and inflation produce virtually yeah. no return. So uh, labor's still strong, Fred, I take it? Anything changed right. there? The unemployment rate, yeah, the unemployment rate is still very low. Uh, and uh, the problem, which is not really a problem, is that it, it, can't, it can't go a whole lot lower. It's at... Uh, probably the, the lowest it's been in uh, 30 or 40 years, and there's not much room on the downside. So again, uh, uh, we, uh, a good news would be sort of staying the same or, or bumping around that same level. But again, like you said, uh, everyone is, uh, many, most people are, are worried about this. I just read that there are outflows almost every asset class, uh, uh, equities and bonds and so on. I don't know where people are, are hiding, but uh, if okay, you so presumably cash. Yeah, uh, but uh, uh, again, uh, that's a pretty uh, pretty typical thing when people get scared, just like you, you were talking about. It's natural. It's a natural condition. It's a human condition. I've said so many times on the show and in my writing of newsletters and blogs that human nature is a failed investor, and it's as simple as that. Uh, yeah. it's just, it seems to be our hard hard wiring, but. I step back and I look at it and say, well, the only thing that isn't good are prices. In other words, stock prices are lower, but there really hasn't been any fundamental shift in the outlook for the economy and probably the the really low likelihood of a recession in the next year or two. Uh, so I'm treating this right. as a perfectly normal correction. And, and as I said, I, I haven't seen anything, any indication uh, where – a recession is more likely now in the last week or two than it was a few weeks ago. And so this, to me, it just looks like... But, uh, just like uh, uh, your cross-town bus with the uh, correction, right. uh, business cycles don't last forever either. So it's not gonna, it would be a, a great surprise if we had a, a mild recession in the next uh, like a year, year and a half, two years. Of course. Half, we're in the longest, close to the longest expansion. So again... Uh, a recession itself is, is not necessarily uh, uh, you know, terrible news that, that happens, they come and go. Uh, the problem is that the last recession was unusually 
severe. So, uh, again, I don't think anyone's expecting a, a 2007 to 2009 kind of uh, great recession, but it wouldn't be a great surprise, though, in 2019, 2020, if, if the economy uh, uh, stopped growing for a couple quarters. And, and the other thing about the cycle, uh, I always look and say, wow, for six or seven or eight years, it was so weak. Uh, I'm not blaming anybody. We went through the financial crisis. Maybe it's only natural that we would have 2% GDP. Uh, uh, so people argue about that. I'm not going to argue about that. And now we're in a much higher growth phase. But really, you, you might, I might argue or not argue, but suggest that, well, maybe this cycle is a little unusual in the extent maybe it really began in 2016 because that's when the stronger growth really, a little more normal growth started. But you're right. Uh, I think it's that. Yeah, you don't have to have, well, ahead, you also Frank. don't have to have a recession for stocks to uh, go down. Of course. Expectations uh, drive the stock market. So it may be that people, uh, instead of predicting 3% growth, they're thinking about 25 right. or 2%. That might cause a, a decline, which would not uh, not a downturn in the economy, but simply uh, a lowering of expectations. And when we talk about bear markets in the stock market, we're typically talking about a twenty percent broad market decline. We're, we're not there yet. Those typically do come hand in hand with a recession. So that's why people really get uptight when they start hearing more and more people talking about recession. Uh, and it may or may not come. I mean, the whole point. And Fred, uh, you're usually quick to remind listeners. You know, even though I may sound like I'm forecasting at times or predicting. Uh, it's really, I'm really trying to be the opposite of that. I'm just trying to be more, make observations so I can talk about all these things. And look, recessions are kind of unpredictable. Uh, at least I think so, uh, for, to a large extent. I think it's better to back up and say, you know, you, you can make some kind of distinctions between being prepared and predicting. And so, uh, last year, uh, for probably two or three quarters in a, in a row, as the market was increasing at an increasing rate, it seemed like, until January, uh, going into January this year, early January. So very strong stock market year last year, uh, strong out of the gate in January. And, of course, my January 1st newsletter is all about lifeboat drills and be prepared for a correction. Now, I was careful to point out, guys, that I'm not predicting a correction. I'm just saying they're really common, and it's been a while since we've had one, and we had a very low volatility year. And so I did lifeboat drills probably three or four quarters in a row, uh, trying to prepare my clients for the reality of investing, that if you're going to reach, if for part of your portfolio, if part of your portfolio is going to be in the great companies, ownership of the great companies of America and the world, there's some good and the bad about that. Usually you're doing that because you want to reach for a higher expected return for your portfolio, one that might be required for you to achieve all the things you want to achieve before you go to heaven. And so you're going you're to make this conscious decision that part of my portfolio needs to be ownership of the equities. Maybe it's 50%, maybe it's 30% of my portfolio, or what have you. You're taking on now more unpredictability. It's as simple as that. And it's that unpredictability, I think, is a prerequisite for the premium returns that stocks have has provided investors, given a, uh, a reasonable time horizon to me, which is measured in a lifetime. I really don't try to, uh, and maybe you guys have noticed this, I never say long-term with a client. Uh, if a client comes in concerned, uh, the 75 year old comes in, am I going to sit there and say, Oh, well, you're in it for the long term?" Now I might know that the spouse may live. One of the two may live another 15 or 20 years and probably the long term slash lifetime is on my side. 
But those are the wrong signals to the 75-year-old client or the 65-year-old client at times. They don't think in terms, they think in terms of, and we've talked about this, well, I don't have that many years to recover. Um, I just remind people that, look, every decline in history in the stock market has been temporary. If you don't feel that this one is, you know, is the same and that it will be temporary, then you got a bigger issue and then you really have to reassess your allocation to stocks, I think. But if we can agree that this decline, the same as all the ones in the past, it may get worse before it gets better. I'll, I'll say that. But the nature of them are they are temporary declines in the permanent uptrend. So if you want the premium returns of equities, you're going to have to put up with the premium volatility. It's as simple as that. Ladies and gentlemen, sure. uh, this isn't even what I, I would call this a very volatile market compared to last year, compared to the last few years, there's been a lot more fluctuation in the market. But as far as the overall magnitude of this decline, 13% in the U.S. broad market, maybe 15 or 16% from a global equity perspective. Ladies and gentlemen, if this bothers you, you probably don't belong in equities. I mean, I think it's as simple as that. Now, that's not me saying get out of them. I'm just saying you really, there may be something fundamentally wrong in your asset allocation decision if this type of decline is keeping you up at night. Do you guys think that's fair? I completely agree. And when I'm talking to clients, you know, we've had a a couple clients call with concerns. We've had a few now. I always bring that point up is like, look, yeah, this decline, it's been relatively quick and sudden. So I can see that causing some concern. But in the grand scheme of things, it's not that deep of a market decline. And the market could go down significantly from here. Of course. And and I always, like you say, it's not that I'm saying that's going to happen or it's a forecast. It's saying that's a possibility. If you just look at market returns, you know, just over history and you look at declines that have happened, this this is a relatively small decline. And you have to be psychologically prepared to see your account balance fall further than it has already. Yeah, I would put this, if I had a house on the beach, I would call this a... Uh, tropical storm. This isn't even, I don't think, uh, a level one hurricane. Uh, and I think we've built portfolios. Go ahead, Fred. Yeah. I think the uh, the analogy of a lifeboat drill, is we use it all the time, but it's a little bit misleading because usually a lifeboat drill is preparing to abandon ship, but in most cases, the lifeboat drill would be go back to your stateroom and, and wait it out. It's going to get better. I think so, you're right. Uh, again, uh, and, and the other thing is, too, that uh, if, if anyone's been on a cruise, uh, the first day of a cruise, you always have to go have a lifeboat drill, but no one takes it very seriously, and people are laughing and joking and so on. Uh, a real uh, lifeboat emergency is quite different, so it's very difficult to uh, make it vivid about what, what actually should be done. So just having a drill and telling people, well, if things may go down, uh, is not quite the same as having it happen like it's going going on now so this is the time people probably really need the reassurance there's no question about that uh my point of the lifeboat drill of course is it's too late if you wait till you hit the iceberg mm-hmm. right it's too late if you if you wait to right. do your lifeboat drill there but you're right the analogy has some weaknesses for sure and it doesn't do the complete job that is for certain uh but i i guess just experientially uh in my 35 years i find the more that i do those things fred on the front end it uh, probably reduces the anguish a great deal, but there will still be people that, people that call or come in and saying, look, I, I'm really a little bit rattled by this. 
and uh, and it's something. This is what I'm trying to teach the guys. Uh, you know how you talk to the client is makes all the difference in the world. If you're like a typical advisor that I've witnessed that gets on TV or the radio, they're quickly going to go into, "Well, you're in it for the long term." Well, and, and hopefully, I don't sound that way. Uh, I try not to. Yeah, you're in it for the long term. It just it's just too cliche, and it doesn't. So I. I like to, basically here's what happens when a client walks in. I say, look, the reason I wanted you to come in instead of calling me on the phone today, I know you talked to Ryan or you talked to David. I really wanted to reach out to you because I've been here for 35 years and, and I respect the fact that this feels horrible. Even though I might sit here and think, I don't know what people are really worried about. This is pretty calm. I'm not going to say that to the client. I'm going to take their concerns very seriously and David, you're probably the best at this because you go into that. Well, what is it that really concerns you? You want to mention kind of how you deal with that? Well, what is it about this decline that bothers you so much? Yeah, I mean, usually it's people worrying that they're going to run out of money. Right. So sometimes I think the most helpful is even just stepping away from just focusing on the investments and saying, look, when we came up with your financial plan, and we're dealing primarily with retirees, so the big component of that is, how much can we safely withdraw from the retirement portfolio? And again, I guess you, you don't want to make that sound like it's a guarantee, but right. what's Re a reasonably reasonable. safe yeah. withdrawal rate from a portfolio? When we come up with that number, it's based on horrible market returns on average over your lifetime. It's based on horrible sequence of returns. So usually, uh, yes, the new retiree, they right. worry that, well, I'm going to move my money over to you. I'm going to retire. And no sooner do I do that, the market's going to go into a, you know, a full-fledged bear market. Say it goes down 20%, 30%. I say, okay, well, let's say that happens. Your plan is built to withstand that. And sometimes that's reassuring. It's like you're not just saying, well, the market – I'll talk about the things that you talk about from an investment standpoint. Right. But it's saying what you're worried about, we, we're building your plan to withstand even worse events than that. Because right. if we didn't build your plan that way, it wouldn't be a plan. It'd be a bet. It wouldn't be bulletproof. Who wants to retire with a plan that's like, well, as long as things work out okay right. and returns are decent, you're going to be fine. It's, no, even if returns are horrible over your lifetime, you you're going to be fine. Yeah. You guys have probably noticed that every conversation I have with a client, I don't sit there and say it's going to get better. Now, at some point, I'm going to say, look... <clears throat> I can't tell you when it's going to get better or how it's going to get better, only that it will. But one of the things you've noticed I always include is, but don't be surprised if it gets worse before it gets better. I don't want them to walk out and feel better just because I said, oh, it's going to be, <clears throat> you've seen the worst. I might feel that way, <coughs> excuse me, but I'm not going to say it. I, in fact, I'm going to go the other way and I'm going to have them walk out the door, walk out of the door, mentally prepared for it to get worse because in reality, that very well could happen. Um, but when we step back as advisors, and one of the messages we want to get is, look, if we really, we always have to assess, it maybe is the allocation inappropriate? Did we get something wrong? And in and, and a, and a rare occasion, we'll have to reassess and say, maybe maybe the client isn't in the right allocation. Maybe we, maybe, maybe they let on or or we felt like they were comfortable in a 60% equity portfolio and when maybe they're not maybe maybe they should have been in 40% or 50 um so we're really careful about those issues but i always want to make sure that they're mentally prepared look 
in reality, the odds are a year from now, there's a three out of four chance the stock market will be higher than it is today. Uh, when, and in those up years, it tends to average about 10%, double-digit returns. But downturns also average double-digit returns. This is just one of these things where it comes from, instead of being in the prediction business, try to get your be in the uh, preparation business. Prepare your clients to anticipate that this is part of the journey. In order to, to over the next 30 years, to have an income stream that's at least going to double, because that's what's going to be required for most retirees over their two to three decade retirement, you're going to have to expose part of your portfolio to unpredictability. I'm sorry, that's just the rules. That's just the way it is. What can we do? And we're always assessing what can we do to mentally prepare people for these inevitable storms. One of the things that you guys have done is come up with a one page. It's essentially a one-page investment policy statement. And part of that investment policy statement is Mr. and Mrs. Smith, our new client. We've agreed that we're going to be in this portfolio. We've agreed that we're not going to try to trade in and out of the market. We've agreed that we're not going to try to forecast the economy. And we're going to memorialize all those things. And, and you've told us that you want an income stream that keeps up with your cost of living. Uh, you've told us that you would like to endow your children with a certain amount. And this is the portfolio that we deem is reasonable and the one that best fits. But we're going to make you look at three past bear markets. I call them the good, the bad, and the ugly. Uh, the, the one, from our global perspective, the good one was 2000 to 2003 when the broad U.S. market declined 50% and the global portfolio was down, more diversified portfolio was down 20. Now, it's not designed to do that. And they probably never will see that type of diversification benefit again. But that's an extraordinarily good one. Uh, the bad one, more typical, uh, would be a different bear market. Uh, I can't remember what year we used for that. I used like the 2011. I know okay, 2011 it wasn't, but it was close. is more typical. The broad U.S. market was just a hair within down 20%. And a portfolio of yours would have been down this much. And that's pretty typical. And now the ugly one is 2008, 2009. Uh, you may never see something like this in your life again. But be prepared in a, a small likelihood that it happens. We do a lot of work on the front end, don't we, guys? And uh, I think that pays off. I think so. And I, th I think like Dr. Gertz said, there's still – it's not the same seeing the numbers on paper versus actually experiencing it in real life. But at least they're not caught by surprise. And they can't say, well, I didn't realize this was even possible or I didn't, you know, I didn't realize my portfolio could go down this much. It's like – Moral and usually they're like, well, you know, you told me this could happen, and, and I think just avoiding that surprise, it doesn't make it pleasant, but it makes it a little bit less scary and makes them less likely to at least less likely to panic out or make a change that they shouldn't be making. Go ahead, Ryan. I agree, and I think what what good advisors do is arm their clients with the information in advance, and that's I think that's kind of the purpose of your lifeboat drills, if you want to argue. Um, over the exact uh, use of that example is, does this mean exactly what we're saying? The point is just to make sure that in advance, clients know what they're they're going into. They have the ability to go up, the market can go down. And one thing that I just read just this week, I thought is, is helpful is when you're, you're looking at your financial plan, you're looking at your investments, you don't make a change based on the headlines in the news, you make changes based on the headlines in your life. So you make changes 
when something dramatically changes or shifts in your life. Maybe that's a, a birth of a child. Maybe that's the death of a spouse or, or there's a, a major fundamental life change. That's when you really have a, a need and a reason to make changes to your portfolio. Not when we see the market going up and down as we've been seeing this year. It, it almost, you know, it's, it's normal to expect this to happen and you shouldn't be reacting to it and making portfolio changes simply because the average showed up. Well, you gave me a great segue into our first text from Mike. Uh, you've heard me say it on the show. It's, this is perfectly normal. But yet, I, I, with the caveat that you know, the client understands it differently, uh, it means different things to them than it does to the advisor. And Ryan, you said it. Uh, we all say it. I think this, e this text from Mike might encapsulate what I was trying to say a few moments ago. So I want to get into this a little bit because there are certain things in it <clears throat> I want to talk about. I want to talk about the whole thing, but I'm going to read the whole thing. Here's an email from Mike. And, I, and again, I think this is probably a e uh, text that a lot of people could write. It really bothers me when I hear advisors pretty much say don't worry about it when the markets have a big decline because it's normal. What they don't realize is they get a percentage of our account, accounts regardless, and that's true. A decline for us, the client, I uh, take it, it's a loss. A decline for us means the advisor just gets less. They, which Mike means the advisor, get their certain percentage each quarter regardless from us. That percentage stays the same. Our gain is uh, Our gain or loss is not consistent. Can advisors realize it's our money we are losing, not theirs? Uh, an advisor cannot possibly lose any money from our accounts. They get a positive gain quarterly regardless. Now, I want to I go through a few things of that that I think might help Mike, uh, and it might help listeners um, when, when I read this. The markets have a big decline. Well, first of all, see, to the client, to the investor, whose person is it's their money invested, when it's down 10 or 12 or 13%, to people in the investment business, we think, well, that's really typical. We might say normal. What Mike's saying is it's it's a big decline. And so that's that's one of the issues. So one thing uh, I would say to Mike and people like that is, well, it's not a big decline. I'm not here trying to make you feel better. I'm not trying to spar. I'm just saying in the big scheme of things, from the advisor's perspective, when we look at the backdrop of history, this is not a big stock market decline. From the client's perspective, it's like, well, really? Because I just saw $30,000 seemingly disappear from my portfolio, and it used to take me one year to make $30,000. Mike, I get that point. Um, a decline for us means it's a loss. Well, I, there's one issue. There's a word I don't use with clients. Now, a client might come in and say, I lost $10,000 this quarter. And I'm going to say, well, what do you mean? What did you do? I, I'm going to entrap them um, in the spirit of Michael Flynn. I'm going to use the word entrap, <laughs> okay? And I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm, I'm playing a little game with them. I say, what, what did you do to lose money? He goes, what did you do to lose? What do you mean? What did I do to lose money? It's you guys. I'm like, well, we didn't do anything to cause you a loss. It taking a loss in the stock market takes human intervention. I said, so what do you do? What did you do? I didn't do anything, but I had. Five hundred thousand. Now I have four hundred ninety thousand at the end of this quarter. Like, oh, 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 oh! You're talking about you have you've suffered a temporary decline of ten thousand. You cannot let your brain have the word lips, uh, word loss come out of your lips because words are powerful and words train our brain to think and it can really trip our emotions more strongly. So you'll notice I always use it's a temporary decline along the permanent uptrend. 
Go ahead, Ryan. And loss infers permanence, does it yes. not? Yes, it does. And so when you say that I have a loss, it means that potentially you've sold some investments. You cannot possibly go back up because that investment sold. If you're looking at your account balance, and you, in your example, Paul, it went from five hundred to 490000 and you have not sold, you have not done anything permanent where your account balance does not go back up. And and, and as we know, over the long term, a, a long time horizon of investing over the course of your life, in your lifetime, you are going to see, if history's any guide, the account balance go back up. So that the lost term is, it, it is, it's a, it's a mental game you have to expunge from your your use and your terminology when you're talking about your own investments because it is different. And same thing with long-term. I don't use it. I use lifetime. Uh, and I know these seem like small things, but they're big things. But you got, what Mike is writing here is how a lot of investors or clients of, of advisors feel. It's a real feeling. But a great advisor is going to say, well, first of all, I got to call you out. It's not a loss. And if you're going to treat it as a loss, you and I may not get along together. And I'm going to try to flush that out before I ever take a client on. And there's just certain realities. Yeah. Well, I say, uh, Paul, yeah, Fred. Uh, there's, a, there's a symmetry here as well. Uh, you need to apply that to gains. Uh, on the, for example, if the market goes up by uh, 300 points. You gained uh, so many thousand dollars. Uh, that is not money in your pocket. It's still out there being invested. So you have to look at the gains in the same way you do to the client. So if you don't. I assume that every gain is a permanent uh, increase in your assets, like having cash in your, your pocket. It'll make it easier maybe to look at the downside as well. Yep. So this is something I've been talking a lot about lately because we could be at the same point, but depending on the direction we came from, the emotional experience is completely different. So I remember for some reason when the Dow was at 23.5, I just remember having a conversation with a few clients and friends and people were either ecstatic or worried that the market was overvalued and it had gone up so much that maybe we should kind of dial back. So it was one of the two extremes, but they were very basically excited about the market. Then we go up to almost Dow 27,000. And now we're back down to, you know, I think it's like 24, but call it, you know, if we round down, similar spot. And now people are panicked and I've lost X dollars. Right. And, and like Dr. Gertz said, it's, well, yeah, if you're measuring everything based off the absolute high water mark, the single highest day of your portfolio balance, you're setting yourself up to feel like you're at a loss a Most lot. Most of the time. Yeah, you're not, that's just kind of like setting yourself up for failure. And like he said, I like to think of my, I've been trying to think of how to articulate this, but I think you need to look at your account balance not as a static or specific number. It's more of this kind of, range of numbers or kind of this nebulous, more squishy number that on any given day, yeah, you see this dollar amount, but like Dr. Gertz said, you can't really just say, I have this permanently. This is mine now. I will never go down from here because that's not realistic. I think that's a good point. As you said, when you when you get to 24000 the first time, everybody wants to have a party and is thrilled about it. The next time it goes to 24000 after being at 26000 everybody's depressed and stressed and gloomy. That's human psychology, and it's called anchoring, and, and it's a big part of what an advisor's value is to recognize that these things exist and try to make sure you're working with your client in a way that you recognize that these certain biases, recency bias, anchoring, uh, people, <clears throat> you know, uh, 
fear gains much more than they appreciate the gains. It's just part of it. And uh, this is a real challenge. This is a real challenge. I mean, if people are going to be, uh, this really always circles back, guys, to do you or do you not have a financial plan? Do you have a plan that is dictating your asset allocation policy? And is that asset allocation policy aligned with that plan, at least from an historical perspective, that it would get you, you know, from where you are to where you want to be with room to spare? And instead of focusing on that and anchoring to the number at the end of the month, end of the quarter, end of the year, what it used to be, the real question needs to be, boy, I've seen the market decline. Everybody's worrying about it. David, Ryan, Paul, how's my plan? That is the relatable question that, let's face it, most people do not have a financial plan out there. They don't. A fewer than 50% have any type of plan at all, okay? Um, every successful investor I've ever met in my whole life was goal-focused and plan-oriented, okay? Every failed investor was market-focused and performance-oriented. So planning, as it turns out, is the real uh, prescription for success because we know that these to the client loss that's the word they're going to use they're going to come and they're going to go and gains aren't permanent the uptrend is ultimately permanent but you know if i finally cross the half a million or the three hundred thousand or the one million dollar uh value you're probably going to go under it sometime before you go to the next level it's just part of it and it's it, it's just a key part of being an advisor, right? I think that I think in Mike's email it makes it sound like, well, you guys are there to make us money. We don't like to lose money, and if we lose money, you shouldn't get paid. I'm, I'm putting words in Mike's mouth, and I don't think he's saying that, but so I'm, I'm taking it a little further. The real value of advisor is, look, we have a plan, uh, David. I understand uh, you're just retired a year ago. You've spent fifty thousand dollars of your principal, and your account's down thirty-five thousand dollars because of portfolio impact. I, I know what you're feeling and you feel like, wow, if this keeps going like this, it won't be long and I'll be back at work. That's how it feels to the client. It's our job to say, as you said earlier, well, David, I uh, remember we had this plan we put in place. Let's review it. Um, your plan had an 86% probability of exceeding doing all the things you told me you wanted to do. So not only meet it, but exceed it. High probability. That plan is still fine. It's properly funded. It's in the comfort zone. Uh, here's where we'll start worrying a little bit and where we might make a change. But that's still a pretty far ways off. But your plan is fine. Don't you think at the end of the day, instead of looking at statements, which you can't help people from doing, if they would just ask, "How is my, am I okay? That's really what they want to know, isn't it? Am I okay? That's another, the question. And another way they might ask that question is, Am I okay means directly, can I still spend what I'm accustomed to spending or can I still live the way I was accustomed to living prior to the fluctuation of the of the market? And I think that's what is the the bottom of every question is am I am I still able to do what I was accustomed to do regardless of market movement? Yes, this look, downturns always uh turn up the heat on on a client's feelings. They're just going to magnify those feelings. And the key is for advisors and what the client wants to hear is, am I okay? Um, I understand your concern. I, I take it seriously. 
I'm not ignoring it. I know those feelings are real. To you, those feelings are very real. And I, and I want you to know, I, I, I hear you. But let's go back to your plan and show you what we talked about on the front end. And let me show you that even with this decline, we've been prepared for much worse than this. And to prove that, your plan is still just fine. And you just talk further and talk further. But again, the key ingredient, guys, is, but it could get worse. And if your portfolio go, goes below this number, we may have to cut your monthly spending, probably temporarily, by five, six, seven, eight percent. The other thing I think is a good phrase that it can be really helpful for investors is, it's okay to feel fearful. It's not okay to act on that fear. I think no matter what you do and no matter how much you mentally prepare for declines, 99.9% .9 of people are going to feel fearful or worried or stressed out when they see their portfolio balance decline 10, 20, whatever the percentage is. When they see that decline, it's going to bother them psychologically. It's one thing to experience those, those difficult feelings, but it's another to give in to them and make impulsive decisions. And you can give yourself permission to be a human being and feel fearful, but don't give yourself permission to act on that fear. Say, basically, no, I need this allocation to accomplish. You know, like you said, it's kind of back to the reality. It's, this is normal. It kind of sucks, for lack of a better term. But all I can do is just continue to stay invested in the allocation I've, I've selected. And in some ways, embrace that fluctuation. All right. Some people call it volatility. Embrace it. <clears throat> well, why in the heck would I want to like this temporary decline? What is it about I should enjoy or feel good about? Because the deal is the more unpredictable an investment is from a broad asset class standpoint, right? I'm talking about stocks versus bonds is my example. Stocks are returns in the near term are more unpredictable. Small company stocks are even more unpredictable than large company stocks. They have a higher expected cost of capital, which is the same thing as saying they have higher returns. Why? They're less predictable. You don't want the unpredictable part of your portfolio to suddenly become more predictable. If it becomes long-term more predictable, that's the same thing as saying, I'm not gonna get the returns that I had hoped for because I have less unpredictability. Don't wish unpredictability away. Probably sounds weird. It probably sounds like that's only something an advisor could, could say <laughs> to try to make this all look better. Look, I'll try any trick in the book I can get because you addressed it, Dave. You nailed it. It's okay to feel fearful. It's okay to feel the pain. It's okay to worry. Uh, you know, We try to minimize that as much as we can. And I think the real value our clients tell us that we bring to the table, and I think any good advisor, is they worry a heck of a lot less. But it doesn't mean it's going to be worry-free. But it's not okay to act on that. My experience is most people can't cross that bridge on their own. They're going to act on it. They just can't help it. And uh, that is the role of a good advisor. If an advisor can do just one or two things over their lifetime relationship with you, one, create a plan that's probably going to go do 90% of the heavy lifting to keep you uh, invested properly. Even when everything around you and everything, everybody around you is saying, sell. Sell everything right now while you can get the shirt off your back, right? Before they take the shirt off your back. The greatest role of an advisor is to keep them from doing that. And that's the, so the plan goes most of the way to doing that, 
But occasionally there's these pivotal moments and there are always going to be these pivotal moments between the advisor and their client. And the client says, this time it's different. And our four words are the four words of any great advisor is going to be, yes, you might feel like your four words are this time it's different. Our four words are this too shall pass. Now at this moment, whichever of those four words you're going to listen to and let drive your behavior and drive your portfolio are either going to learn, uh, lead you into a lifetime of eternal sadness or you're going to stay on plan and have a very high probability of a very good life lived. Okay, that's the deal. Uh, I can't make it any more plain than that. Fred, do you have anything to... Uh, Fred, you're a little bit older than, than us. Uh, you know, you and I aren't that far apart. But I don't, I'm just trying to guess if it, maybe you kind of have a concept. When you first started investing or thinking about investing, Roughly, where was the Dow Jones Industrial Average, would you say? You there, Fred? I think I might have lost Fred. Uh, we might have lost Fred. Uh, we may have... I don't know who's online one because I can't see the board, but maybe it's Fred. Oh, okay. We do have a caller. I'm sorry, online too. I can't see who the caller is. Welcome to Paul Rudy's On The Money. Okay. Yeah. It's fine. Just bear with me, folks. Uh, the great and powerful Adam is going to fix this. He's going to tell me who's Joe. Joe on lie two. Thanks for listening. Yes, yes, sir. Great, great show. Really enjoy listening to you guys. Thank you. Um, a comment that I have, and you know, your subject today is very real in the minds of most people and investors. But one thing they have to remember, and I know you uh, understand this fully, is you know when the markets go down like this. This is this is basically stocks on sale. You have to remember that. That's how you make money. You buy low and sell high. Joe, I think that works for a lot of people that are not done buying yet. Uh, the, the, so we have two types of investors really essentially out there. People that are accumulating and not done buying yet and people that are done buying and now they're decumulating. They're spending from their portfolio. And but for for the accumulators, and I don't want to blur those two issues because I could irritate half my listeners because they say, "Well, you don't get me. I don't see it as a sale." What you're saying is absolutely correct. When you're not done buying yet, here's the way I see it: um, prices ten, twenty, thirty years from now are likely to be not only higher than you can think they'll be, higher than you can imagine. That's a, if history's any guide, that's what's going to happen. With that in the backdrop, anybody who's not done buying yet for them to want the prices to go up today or tomorrow is nuts, okay? It's irrational. You want the biggest sale, if they could throw in a 2008, 2009, 57% off sale, that's not a gift from heaven, that's a gift from God himself, okay? For the accumulator. It's sheer terror for the person that's retired. So, great point, Joe. Anything else on that? No, no, that's all I have. All right, Thank well, you. And, and then I think that brings Thanks, up Joe. the question for retirees. Well, what do we do during these time periods? How do we avoid selling during these sales at these lower prices? And that's where the role of fixed income kind of comes into a portfolio. And that's why you don't have a 100% stock portfolio. Most people don't. Because if you're pulling money out, right? and as you've talked about, the reality of investing in a stock portfolio is there's going to be declines from time to time. You want on them. a regular basis. You, you, you know what? You don't want them. Well, but- it's good for you. Whether you want them or not, the reality is that they're going to happen. And so you have to have a way to continue to take money from your portfolio during those times where the stock market's temporarily down 10, 20, 30, 40% in you know, the extreme cases. And that's 
where you basically take the money from the fixed income portion of your portfolio, which you're going to probably be doing anyways if you're trying to rebalance. Because when those, when the stock market declines, if you have a certain ratio of stocks to bonds, the stock portion just got smaller right. relative to the bonds. So even just rebalancing will kind of naturally take care of that. But that's why I think if I had to come up with a rule of thumb, it's have at least like three or four years worth of spending in stable investments to get you through those tough times. And sometimes psychologically, no, when people know, okay, well, I've got a three, four, five-year runway of stable investments before I would have to sell something while it's down, sometimes that really helps people psychologically. It too. does. I mean, there's no question about it. And I, and I think that's that's really good. So that's when I hear people on TV or the pundits say it's time to get out of stocks completely and go to cash. What you're saying is the better preparation question is what's the right amount of cash or high quality bonds I need to get me through the inevitable downturn in stocks. So, you know, the person that's the predictor, get out of stocks, go to cash. The, the wise investor says, look, I know these are going to happen. Uh, it's probably going to happen to me because I could write the book. I could be the author of the book. How come investments work until I buy them? That's just me. You know, some people feel like, and what you're saying is, go ahead, Fred. I'm back. Okay, so one of the questions, Fred, I had for you, if you'll answer it, is when you started investing, roughly where was the Dow Jones? Not that this proves any point, but I'm just trying to put some historical background. I I don't know exactly, but I know it was a really big deal when uh, it broke a 1,000. That was the interday uh, trading, and it took a long time after that really to to get above a 1,000. So it was back in the the late 60s, early 70s. Yeah, okay. the, so, period, the period, my my, uh, my beginning, beginning period was one of the uh, uh, toughest in, in a long time. It wasn't that the, the stock market was declining. It just wasn't going anywhere. So I treaded water for about 10 years, and all of a sudden in the 1980s, uh, things took off, and it's been uh, good since then. Uh, then one other point, I'm, I'm adding a lot of things together, but you talked about the risk-return issue. You could always give people the option, would you like to buy an annuity? And uh, given the pricing of annuities, almost everyone says no. So what they're saying is, I'm willing to take some uncertainty for the uh, much higher expected returns as opposed to a certain return that's uh, that's uh, uh, much much smaller than it would be otherwise. So annuities are not a very popular item among people. And the reason why is the, the, the question, uh, the issue you're talking about. Yeah, exactly. There's just trade-offs. We're never eliminating risk. We just trade one risk for another. We're always doing that. Well, guys, we have about five minutes left. Uh, we're getting into the end of the year. So this is when I like to, uh, well, first I'd like to thank Fred Gertz for constantly being on our show. Uh, he's, he's, you know, I get so many compliments I, I about having you, it, Fred. Enjoy it and look, I enjoy it and look forward to it. It's a highlight of my week very often. <laughs> well, you know, as it is ours, and, and you add a lot to our show, and we're, we're very grateful that you're willing to do that. Not everybody's willing to get on uh, you know, on a show because you never know what's going to come out of these advisors' mouths. And Fred doesn't work with us or for us. He's completely independent. So I know, Fred, you're extra careful. So I'll, I'll compliment the young guys that you're comfortable working with them. I'd like to thank WDWS for letting us do this show since, I think, 1990. That's a pretty long run. I hope to continue to do it. That's my intent. Uh, but what a wonderful gift to us and our company. It's been, it's been terrific for me and the people here at WDWS couldn't be better people to work with. And uh, I think they get the idea and they picked up early that we're not going to get on the show and turn it into an infomercial. I'm sure I've shamelessly from time to time have probably 
gotten near that line. I try not to, but it's purely educational. We try to do that again, and we're not arrogant about this. We know we don't have all the answers, but we just try to provide listeners with the questions to ask their advisors so that they can have a more complete, a, not get rich, but live richly. That's what we hope people are able to do. And that's, that's all, you know, uh, that's all relative. It means different things to different people. I want to thank the community for making Rudy Wealth Management the number one uh, investment firm uh, in uh, Central Illinois in the People's Choice Award. That's a big deal to us. And that, and, and, and that combined with uh, your brother, Paul, and your brother-in-law, Paul, Paul Jr., uh, being selected as Investopedia's top 100 uh, most influential advisors in America, uh, that was a big deal this year, so we're we're really happy about that. Uh, we've had a terrific year, guys. Uh, we've Rudy Wealth Management has had by far the best year when it comes to new clients discovering us and becoming clients. And I can't help but to think this radio show is is a is part of that. Certainly, the People's Choice Award is certainly being recognized as the number one investment firm. Has helped quite a bit. Um, we love to help people. Now we can't help everybody, uh, but we try. Uh, so anybody who is looking again, here I go, I guess it's turning into a shameless commercial. <laughs> I guess this is my way of saying, look, uh, use this as a resource. We're not going to assume you want to be a client. Feel very comfortable and very willing to call us. If you have a financial question, uh, and maybe you have no intent on being a client, that's okay. It's a part of doing this show is we do a lot of pro bono work as a result of the show, people feeling comfortable enough to come in and share their story. Uh, maybe some of their embarrassments uh, that they feel embarrassed about and they're looking for a place, kind of a no-judgment zone. Uh, we can often help point those people in the right direction, independent of becoming a client. So uh, it's been a terrific year. Uh, you guys have anything to add about that? You want to say anything nice about me? What a great guy I am. You know, wow, if it wasn't for you, Dad, it, you know, what? I, I was going to say, how about let's let's ignore you for a moment. Thank you our, to all of our listeners who who actually show up week after, you know, every couple of weeks when yeah. we're on to listen. And for the folks that you know pick up the phone or send a text, yeah. you help enrich the show and make it something valuable to all of our listeners. So thank you. Yeah, I completely agree. I think you know, especially the people who call in and stuff, they're bringing up stuff that they're going to phrase it in a way that's probably very similar to what everyone else is thinking who's listening to the show and it gives us an opportunity to address that so yeah thank that thank the listeners and then i also you know i appreciate wdws letting us young guys uh be on one of their radio shows yeah i think it's terrific uh and again uh i, I think you guys have proven that you're worthy of that. Uh, not all young people could do get on a radio show. Getting on a radio show for the first time is pretty intimidating, isn't it? Certainly. I mean, you think, gosh, what do I say? Okay. I, it's tough. Well, anyway, it's been a great year. Thanks to everybody. Thanks, WDWS. Thanks to our listener. Have a great rest of the year. We'll be back at the first of the year. We'll all get through this temporary decline. Thanks for listening. Join us for the second and fourth Tuesday of each month for Paul Rudy's On the Money. Views expressed represent those of the guests and do not necessarily represent those of the station. This is News Talk 1400, WDWS, Champaign-Urbana.